Harry R. Truman. Now, this is not the Harry S. Truman of presidential fame, but uh, Harry R. Truman was born in 1896. He was a real man of the mountains, and uh, early in life, his family moved to Washington State and settled uh, in the valleys just near Mount St. Helens. During World War I, he nearly died when his troop ship was sunk uh, by a German U-boat, but he survived, and after the war, he came back, uh, back home to Washington State and uh, eventually built a lodge on the shores of Spirit Lake, right below Mount St. Helens. He operated his lodge for 52 years until his wife passed away in 1978. In 1980, in March, small earthquakes began to shake the mountain. Truman seemed uncon unconcerned, but a team of geologists swarmed over the mountain to determine what was going on. And soon the experts were saying this volcano, which has been dormant for years, is going to erupt. They warned everyone in the area to flee. But Truman said, nothing's going to happen to me. If the mountain goes, I'm going with it. There's a huge lake between me and this mountain. How could it possibly hurt me? Day after day, the earthquakes became worse and worse. Truman was knocked out of bed, so unperturbed, he hauled his mattress to the basement of his lodge and kept on sleeping. On May 18 of 1980, a 5.1 magnitude earthquake triggered the collapse of the north face of Mount St. Helens. A blast of hot volcanic ash and lava exploded from the side of the mountain with the force, with the force of over 1,600 atomic bombs. Truman, his lodge, and his 16 cats were buried under 150 feet of volcanic debris never to be seen again. I've titled this message, The Choice of Eternity. You know, over the past several weeks, we've done a series. This is the fourth part in a series on choices. The choices that we make and how those choices can, can impact our lives and the lives of those around us. Yes, for time, but also for eternity. It brings me to another story, a story that we find in the words of Scripture, in the very first book of the Bible. The rumor had been around for a long, long time. Great-Grandpa Enoch had named his son with an unfinished sentence. His death shall bring. His death shall bring what? By now, Methuselah was getting to be very very old. And the rumors and stories of the coming judgment had become nothing but an old, old tale. Life was good. The economy was up. The crops were coming in. The stock market was booming. Technology had advanced. People could take life easy. And few, if any, spoke of the terrible judgments predicted centuries before. It's not like people had totally forgotten about God. I mean, people went to church after all. You had, you had the, uh, 
churches that made you feel good. You came and you saw all your friends and you sang good music and you heard good messages that made us feel a lot better about ourselves. And then you had the churches that were kind of the old traditional churches, the older folks, you know, they went to those churches and they saw their old buddies and they would reminisce about old years and sing the old songs. But I mean, nobody got really fanatical about God or did, you know, like there was something to be worried about or anything. I mean, that would be fanatical after all. Nobody except, except one man. One man by the name of Noah. And God looked at the condition of the world, and it says there in Genesis chapter 6, that God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great on the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. You know, it says God saw the wickedness of man. You know, when we talk about these stories, the story of the great flood in the days of Noah, we think it might be easy to think of God as a vengeful God, someone who gets easily angry at the wickedness and lashes out at the people that he has made with anger and vengeance to destroy them. Yeah, I have even thought, perhaps, at times of the story of Noah like this. But if I read the text and if I read what it says, I read in this story, not the story of a God who is afflicting vengeance on those who have offended them, but on a God like a loving father who sees his children hurtling on a path to self-destruction and knowing that if he does not intervene, they will soon annihilate themselves. And though it breaks his heart, he realizes that he has to step in and do something. It says it grieved his heart that he had made man. It grieved his heart to see their wickedness, to see them hurtling on this path to self-destruction. But God knew that there was one man and his family who, if they were saved, would save the human race from destruction. If God would do nothing, humans would soon become extinct because of their own choices. But it says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and God conceived a plan whereby he could save Noah from the coming utter destruction. Hebrews 11 and verse 7, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. So God gave Noah a warning. He says there in Genesis 6, 13, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them from the earth. And here he tells Noah the plan. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. You know, I don't know what Noah told his wife that evening. 
I can just imagine the conversation that week between Mr. and Mrs. Noah. Noah, dear, do you have any idea why the lumber yard has just delivered ten loads of lumber in the, on the hill back behind the house? <clears throat> well, actually, uh, dear, I ordered that lumber. There's probably another twenty loads coming this week. Noah, dear, whatever is this for? And what did you pay for this with? Well, um, I took a withdrawal from my 401k to, to build this. Noah, dear, what in the world are you building? Well, God told me to build a boat. A, a, a boat? Why are you building a boat? Have you gone mad? I can only imagine how the conversation went. But Noah began building his boat. And day after day, and month after month, you could hear up on that hill behind his house the steady pounding of a hammer, the sawing of saws. He hired the local construction companies to come in and begin building not just a boat. This was no fishing boat. You've seen the pictures on the children's books. It looks like this little little thing about the, you know, the size of something that would fit in, the, in this room, you know, a little round thing and the giraffe's neck sticking long out of the... No, no, no. This was a giant ship. A giant wooden ship. How many of you have been to the, the, the Ark Encounter? Up in, yeah, I, Christina and I have been there a few times. It's incredible. If you haven't been there, you need to go. It's worth the, the experience just to see. They've built it to scale 450 feet long. This is comparable to the size of the largest ocean liners on the ocean, even to this day. A giant wooden ship with three decks. So Noah begins building his boat. And not just his wife, but his family, his friends, his neighbors, the whole town. Pretty soon everyone in the world comes to gawk and to stare at this giant boat being built on dry land in a world where it had never rained. What are you doing, Noah? Well, the consensus was that Noah had lost his mind. There was no other alternative. No one else said there was coming a flood. No one else had ever seen rain. But every day, with every stroke of the hammer, Noah preached a sermon. Year after year, pretty soon the bottom of his boat was getting weathered with age. And still he was building the boat. And old Methuselah was having more and more birthdays. And still people had to wonder, when he dies, it comes. When he dies, it comes. Enoch had prophesied of the coming judgments of God, how the Lord would come with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all. And he had another birthday. He was 961. The oldest man who had ever lived was 962 up until this point. 962, 963, 968, 969 years. And one day, old Methuselah took his last breath. When he dies, 
it comes. Well, it wasn't much long, longer after that. One day, out of the woods came a pair of giraffes. And then here came some donkeys following them, and a few tigers, a couple of tigers, and a whole flock of sheep. There were seven of them. And pretty soon all these animals started coming two, by twos and by sevens and filing their way silently up into Noah's Ark. And the people of the town started, started a note of fear struck their hearts. They started watching these animals coming, coming. No one was leading them. No one was driving them, just coming and coming into Noah's Ark. And Noah stood in the door of the Ark and called out, Come, my friends, come into the Ark. There is room for these animals, and there is room for you. And the only salvation that you will have from this coming flood is to come into this ark. And a note of conviction struck in their hearts until a man in the throng began to jeer. Ha ha, old Noah, he's built his boat and now he's starting a zoo. And the whole throng broke out into nervous laughter. They turned into a roar of laughter. And they made their way home having squelched the last offer of mercy. And it says there in Genesis that God shut the door of the ark, shutting Noah in, and at the same time shutting the world out. And for seven days, as that ark, I can imagine, got hotter and hotter inside, and the animals, you know what animals do, pretty soon it gets stinkier and stinkier, And still the sun is shining brightly in the sky. And the throng outside are mocking and jeering. But inside, Noah knows. He doesn't see the rain, but he knows God has said a flood is coming. The sky began to cloud over. The raindrops began to fall. And the the scripture says that the fountains of the great deep were broken up. And the water rushed through the valleys and began to rush over the small hills. Pretty soon it was covering the smaller mountains. The animals and the people were in a panic. And as the water rose higher and higher, those people began banging on the side of the ark and banging on the door of the ark. Let us in. We believe you now. But it was too late. And when the water had covered the tallest peaks of the mountains... The earth that was perished, and everything that was in it, except for Noah and his family. The story of this world, my friends, as hard as it is, as sad as it is, is a story of God's love, God's mercy, and God's grace. And though it may be hard to see through the terrible judgments, the flood of Noah's day was an act of mercy to the human race to cut short their wickedness and to give righteousness a chance once again to flourish. This is the message of Noah's Ark. But my friends, throughout the Bible, time and time again, God has made a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, the saved and the lost, Not over a hundred thousand different things, but over one choice. 
One simple choice. In the days of Noah, that choice was simple. Get on the ark. Exercise faith. Believe the word of God and get on the ark. In the days of Adam and Eve, that choice simply said, don't eat the fruit of the tree. You know, all through history, God has had his law. Don't kill, don't steal, don't, don't covet. All of these things are important. But the one choice, get on the ark. You know, in the time of the Exodus, the ten last plagues of Egypt, that last plague was the destroying angel who would come and destroy the firstborn of every household. But the choice was simple. Slay the lamb, strike the blood on the doorpost, and then stay in the house. As long as the firstborn stays in the house, he is safe. Don't go out of the house. And the difference between life and death hinged on one simple choice. In the days of Jonah, God sent a message to a city that had rushed headlong into wickedness, the city of Nineveh, and the message of Jonah was repent. The city of Nineveh repented. You know, every time God sends a message of warning, a message of judgment, it's a call to mercy. And the message of Jonah, though he did not say it, the message of Jonah was repent and God will save the city. Forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed, but because of God's mercy, he saved the city of Nineveh. The message of John the Baptist was the same message, repent. But there was an additional component to that message because he says in John 1.29, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And the message of the New Testament, my friends, is the message of Jesus Christ, who lived and died to redeem you and me from utter destruction. To get on the ark, my friends, is to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Though there may be a hundred thousand choices we could make and should make, the one choice, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. My friends, are you going to get on the ark? Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be, be saved. Acts 4 verse 12. You know, I I hope that you're seeing a pattern here. That in every age, the choice to serve God or the choice not to serve him may not be the same, but it hinges on one choice. Peter calls this the present truth. 2 Peter 1 verse 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Did you listen to the words of that hymn that we sang this morning? Once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide in the strife of truth with falsehood for the good or evil side. Then it is the brave man chooses while the coward stands aside. Notice the third verse, the last phrase. New occasions teach new duties. Time makes ancient good uncouth. They must upward still and onward who would keep abreast of truth. My friends, the truth continues to progress. It does not make the old truth untrue, but the present truth continues from age to age. Do you know today that there are over two billion people in this world who claim to be Christians? If you 
There are two, I think, 2.4 billion people who self-identify as Christians, who claim the name of Christ. And that is beautiful, that is powerful, my friends, because it shows us that the message of Jesus Christ has gone around the world to every nation, kindred, tribe, tongue, and people. But I want to submit to you today, my friends, as it says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And I'm not judging people here, but I dare say that a large number of those two billion Christians, though they name the name of Christ, do not understand the word of God as they should. The book of Revelation describes a time when God's people will face an unprecedented trial of their faith. A great showdown, as it, as it were, between the forces of good and the forces of evil. And these are symbolized by a lamb and a great beast. Actually, a triumvirate of beasts. Those who follow the lamb and those who worship the beast and his image. We find it in Revelation 13, verses 15 and 16. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. It's, a, it's, it's an incredible, um, terrible picture talking about this mark of the beast, and it strikes fear to the hearts of many Christians that think, well, what is this mark of the beast? And I'm, I'm not going to take time in the next, next five minutes to try to go into all of the details of this. But the book of Revelation pictures a great showdown between the followers of God who receive his seal and those who refuse the seal of God and are marked with the mark of the beast. What is it that separates the true followers and the false ones. My friends, it is one choice. Just as in the days of Noah, the choice was to get on the ark. Just as in the days of the apostles, the choice was and is to accept Jesus and Jesus only. My friends, though those are all still true today, I want to submit to you that another flood is coming. Another flood is coming. A day of judgment against those who follow not God. Jesus has said time and time again, I am coming again. He told his apostles, he told his disciples, he told John in Revelation, and he tells us today, I am coming again, and I am coming soon. I'm coming to judge the world in righteousness. And those who are on my side, I will redeem into my everlasting kingdom. But those who have fought against me, those who refuse to accept the offer of salvation, at that time, at that coming, it will be too late, just as it was in the days of Noah. And we find this message in Revelation 14, verse 7, Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven, earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. It's interesting this is a quotation, a direct quotation 
from the Sabbath commandment, from the fourth commandment of Exodus 20 and verse 11. Fear God and give glory to him. And there's finally a choice. Babylon is fallen. Will you worship the beast in his image and receive his mark? Or will you be part of the people of God who have the testimony of Jesus? Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus Christ. My friends, just as in the time of Noah, so too today, a flood is coming. And we have the choice to get on the ark. What does it mean to get on the ark, my friends? I believe, my friends, that it means to choose to follow God and everything that he reveals to us in his word, including his law, including the Sabbath. I don't mean just the Sabbath, but including the Sabbath. My friends, what is your choice? It says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. My friends, the judgments of God are soon to fall upon this world. As I look at the news, and then I open my Bible and read the Bible, I read the same things. And I believe the time is short. Sometimes I wonder, why is it that Jesus has waited so long? Why is it that we are still in this world? Then I think about Methuselah. God said a judgment is coming. When he dies, it comes. But then God in his mercy extended Methuselah's life longer than anyone who had ever lived before. Did that mean the flood didn't come? No. But God gave as much mercy as possible before that flood came. My friends, God is still giving mercy to this world. But he cannot extend the time indefinitely. My friends, Jesus is coming again. Jesus said in the days of his second, when, the second, when he comes again, it will be as it was in the days of Noah. When people are eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. My friends, do we say with the scoffers, my Lord delays his coming? Or will we today say, yes, Jesus, I believe you're coming soon. Help me to align my life with your will. Help me to get on the ark. Help me to build that ark so that I may be ready when you come again. Joshua says in Joshua 24 and verse 15, If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which are on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and as for my house, we will serve the Lord. I want to invite you, my friends, if this is your choice, if you want to follow Jesus all the way, despite persecution, despite opposition, despite ridicule, I want to invite you to stand with me as we sing together our closing song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. Our kind and loving Father in heaven, Lord, just as in the days of Noah, you commanded your servant to build an ark, so in these last days, you have given us a promise of salvation 
which you've given us a part to do. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you, to choose for you the choice of eternity. Bless us now as we fellowship together. Until we meet again, may you be with each one. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.